never did this before, no. WQHT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers. The hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the Freddie Gray case, the Baltimore riots, and the underlying issues about police and our communities, not just in Baltimore, but here in New York City and around the country. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and talk with me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, and on Instagram, at Lisa Evers. Our hashtag for this show is Freddie Gray, and that's Freddie with a Y, hashtag Freddie Gray. Um, text your family and friends right now. Tell them to tune in to Hot 97. 97.1 FM in New York City in the Tri-State and online across the United States at Hot97.com. We're also taking calls from across the United States and, of course, from Baltimore as well. And you can listen on your phone anywhere using the iHeartRadio or TuneIn app. This is definitely a show not to be missed. We're talking about the new developments in the Freddie Gray case and what happened in Baltimore this week. I was down there for three days covering it for Fox 5 News and uh, reporting back for you on that. But before I get to what happened in Baltimore and the developments with the Freddie Gray case, I want to extend our prayers and thoughts to the family and colleagues of police officer Brian Monroe. He's a 25-year-old New York City police officer who was shot last night while on duty. He is in a medically induced coma, and I'm being told that he is the fifth police officer in New York City shot in the last five months. So uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to him and also to his colleagues. And we want to also invite police officers to call into the show, as you're always welcome, at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. We want to try and get as many different perspectives out there as possible. And our question for you, we're going to open the phone lines. Rose and uh, Melissa are on the phones right now, 1-800-223-9797. Our question for you is now that six police officers have been charged in Freddie Gray's death, do you have faith in the justice system? Or if you had lost it, has your faith in the justice system been restored? And what about what happened in Baltimore? The fires, the looting, the property destruction, the injuries, the rioting. Is there ever a justification for that type of violence? And let's face it, it wasn't all <coughs> outsiders who were out there on those streets causing the mayhem. Give us a call at 1-800-223-9797. That's one 800-223-9797. Now, we got a lot more information this week, but there's still many more questions about what happened to Freddie Gray during the process of that illegal arrest. We know that Freddie went into the police van on April 12th and could talk. When he came out, or I should say when he was taken out, he could not talk and he could not breathe. We also found out that at least one of the cops lied. It turns out the van made a stop that didn't appear on any of their reports. Investigators found out about it from video surveillance from a private uh, private establishment that turned over their video surveillance cameras to them. So there was a stop on that route before it got to the precinct where uh, they did not put it on the report. We saw six police officers charged in connection with Freddie's, uh, Freddie's death. Three of those police officers are black. Three of them are white. The van driver is black. We saw a 35-year-old black female prosecutor, Marilyn Mosby, who'd only been on the job for four months, step onto the world stage because everybody was watching that surprise press conference on Friday and make the case against the police officers. Now, what's interesting about her, too, aside from the fact, yes, she's female. Yes, she's young. Yes, she's new to the job. She has police officers in her family, her immediate family for generations and reportedly became a prosecutor because her cousin in the late 90s was shot and killed by a police officer after being mistaken for a drug suspect. So uh, a lot of a lot of you know depth there and and understanding that she just she just came up with. As for Baltimore, also known as Charm City, I got a chance to see firsthand the aftermath of the riots. There were disturbances that were worse than what was actually reported. There were disturbances that were in places that were not reported by the media as we went all over the city, not just to the area that was dubbed Ground Zero in West Baltimore by where that CVS was burned. And I have to tell you that as I was putting together my reports for Fox 5 News at 5 and 10, I was so struck by the people of Baltimore because without exception, they were deeply concerned about their youth, deeply upset with their mayor for not handling the situation better, deeply upset about what they felt in the community and in the city was not being done to help youth with recreational centers being closed, with a lot of programs being closed, with youth feeling like they were marginalized. And also the people were very 
warm and very welcoming. It wasn't like I've been in other situations where we go in as the media and we're talking with people. People really, they the first thing they would say, like they would start up the conversation and say how embarrassed they were by what happened, how sad they were, because they really felt like Be More was making progress. They really felt like there was a... Uh, you know, a new energy in the city that there was that there was some kind of hope, but clearly that hope did not extend to everyone and did not extend to every community. And also, I was struck too by the the just the the work ethic of the people. People were like re, people, whether they were young, whether they were old, whether they're black, whether they're white. It was just they wanted to work. They wanted to have a city that was vital. They wanted to have a city where people could get jobs, where they didn't have to do shady things in order to make a living or pay their pay their bills, where they could have a future and stay in the city and not move out like so many other. Other, you know, so many other people did. And, and also it was sad, too. I mean, you have to understand something like this happens seeing so many of the young people that, that were working, that were going to school, that businesses were closed for several days. That means a couple of days they're working part time and they're going to school. They lost that money. There were store owners, store owners, many of them people of color who had opened up small businesses in downtown because that's primarily what it is. Um, and they suffered economically. They had to shut down. They couldn't pay their workers, so they couldn't pay their bills. And it was it was just a very sad situation. And then there's the ongoing um, issues with the Baltimore Police Department, which we're going to be hearing more about. And, uh, you know, the feeling that a lot of people have that this case has opened up, you know, even more so than other cases, the treatment of young men of color in police custody. And it's something that needs to be be addressed. So that's what we're talking about today. And I just want to say thank you to our Baltimore listeners who are listening on Hot97.com. Thank you to everybody that showed me um, so much love when we were down there. We had complete access to uh, many, many people, many communities, and a, and a lot of help from local residents and the local ministers, and also the street organizations that were there, who were uh, you know making it making it cool for us, making it safe for us, and uh, you know I really appreciate that. So here we're here's where we're at. Six officers charged. Three officers were white, three black, the van driver black. Charges ranged from second-degree murder to assault. When people heard those charges from the prosecutor on Friday, many, many people were shocked. We also learned the medical examiner ruled Freddie Gray's death a homicide. Um, And the state's attorney said that all of this happened as a result of an illegal arrest without probable cause. He never should have even been put in handcuffs in the first place, that there was no probable cause for the arrest, regardless of what has passed uh, long his past criminal justice history was. So we're asking you, with what has happened in Baltimore, and then also, too, look at what happened in South Carolina with a quick arrest of the police officer there, are you beginning to have faith in the system? Do you feel that there now we are working towards one system of justice for everybody, whether they're black, white, wearing the blue, whatever? Or do you feel like this is just politics and we still have you know to wait for the other shoe to drop and see what's going on? Give us a call at one 800 223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. On Twitter, at Lisa Evers. On the gram, TJ just posted a picture, at Lisa Evers. You can post your comments. We'll read some of them off uh, Instagram. Joining us in studio, Noel Leader. He's a former NYPD sergeant, co-founder of 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement, who care. Also with us is uh, Professor Maria Haberfeld, Dr. Maki Haberfeld. She is the chairman of the Department of Law and Police Science at John Jay College. Also with us is Frank Francoise. He's a community activist in New York with Black Lawyers for Justice. They're the organization that has been uh, putting together a lot of the protests um, behind the police brutality and excessive force issues. He's also with the organization of Stop Mass Incarceration. He was in Baltimore during the week. Frank, thank you so much for being with us. And also joining us is Karen Hudson. She's a parent and deputy editor of MommyNoir.com. And of course, your telephone calls at one 800 Two two three ninety seven ninety seven. That's one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. Noel Leader, when you heard these charges against the police officer uh, officers on Friday, what was your reaction to that? Well, in light of all the criminality that existed amongst the police officers in the cause of this young man's uh, uh, death, you know, clearly as we learn now, without probable cause to make an arrest, you know, I was happy, but not overtly. Happy because, uh, you know, this is only the beginning of the process. You know, what needs to happen is that these officers need to get indicted. If they committed uh, a, a crime, they need to be convicted and they need to be sentenced. Once that all of that happens, then we can do the victory lap. I think it's premature to be overly uh, enthused 
over what has happened to the officer's arrest because we've seen that before. Uh, these officers deserve to be convicted to long prison sentence because because of their actions, their illegal actions, a young man is now dead, and they need to be held accountable for that. Frank Francois, a lot of people were shocked that the charges came that fast. We still don't even have the full autopsy report. How do you think people are feeling? Well, according to what I, I'm hearing, it's a farce. I mean, you could take the case of what happened to Romali Graham. That officer, Richard Hayes, he was he was indicted. But because of sudden faulty work with the DA, Richard Hayes wanted to get off. So as Noel said, I agree. You know, um, an indictment is just the beginning. But we need a conviction and a sentence. And even more so, we need strong laws that are going to stand as a deterrent. Oftentimes, these officers commit a crime or, you know, it's basically a crime. And they get a slap on the wrist. They talk about new um, police training. We need strong laws that are going to serve as good deterrent. Professor Maria Haberfeld, when you see the case from what we know that are the facts so far, he goes into the van. When you look at that video of Freddie going into the van, yes, sometimes suspects will drag their legs, but the way his neck was just kind of to the left, it looked like something was wrong, like he had no control over his his neck and his kind of his spinal cord. What do you, What's your assessment of what happened with that van from what we know? Well, you know, uh, it's hard for me to, to say what happened because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a fragment of a picture and, and, and I don't want to, to make any statements that are only partially informed. But I would like to say something that relates to, to your previous question um, to, to my uh, co-panelists here. Um, we are constantly and, and historically blaming individual police officers for alleged misconduct or real misconduct. Uh, I've been doing research on police um, ethics, police integrity for over 20 years. I want to move our discourse, our rhetoric towards police organizations and not individual police officers. Because until we start looking how police officers are recruited, how they're selected, at what age, what kind of skills we're looking for, until we start looking fundamentally at, at the training and, and have some transformational change in policing, I don't think there'll be any victory laps for, for anything because it's not about individuals, it's about the organizations. And this is, is this about a police culture that is not kept, tep- kept up with the times and is also just out of touch with where society is? When, when police officers are recruited based on how fast can, they can run a mile or how many push-ups they can do in a minute, this culture, police subculture, is never going to change. Okay, Karen Hudson, Mami Noir, yes. one of the images that many people held on to and cherished from this past week, a very, very difficult week and disturbing week for everybody, was that mother who saw her son going out into the street with his hood and she said that's my boy mm-hmm. I know that's my son and went and pulled the hood off and, mm-hmm. and pulled him back into you know it could have been safety or she could have saved him from arrest what do you think about that? I think that she did what she felt was best to get her son out of that situation. I think she had her own laws in her own home, which was this is how she disciplines. And when you see your child out there in the mix of that chaos, granted he is protesting however he feels his protest, you know, should go throwing rocks and riding, which, you know, none of us really support that action. But I think when she saw her son out there, she just saw another Freddie Gray situation, and she wanted her child out fast. And, you know, him being in a family of five girls and her with no father figure, the way she probably handled him, she probably took on that dual role. Like, I have to manhandle him the way a father would and get him out. I don't think it probably would have been easy for her to say, come on, let's go, let's go. I feel like out of anger and out of fear and out of scare, she just hurled at him the best way she knew. I do have some views on it in terms of humiliation to a certain extent because I feel like this might have been the first time he got to exert his manhood. Not necessarily saying that hurling rocks was the right way, but I feel like he probably felt like this is the moment where I get to have a voice and in that moment his mom came with her fears, and it kind of merged at the same time to create that classic photo, or I just want to say, well, probably a historic photo. So I think it's a double-edged sword, a little bit of humiliation probably on his part, um, but a mom trying to protect her child as well from, you know, another Freddie Gray incident. And a lot of people looked at that mother and said, you know, this this is this is a, this is a, the essence of a mother here. Yeah. She just, the, I know that's my son, <laughs> and you, this is not going to happen. Right. You know, right. And I and I and I think looking back and I've watched a lot of um, 
um, a lot of her commentary, again, she said she was just, she made eye contact, he saw her, she saw him with the rock, and she just, she just snapped. She was like, she didn't think about how it looked. I don't think she thought the whole world was going to see this image. I just think she saw her son and was like, get out of here now. And her response was... Because it was in the middle of the crisis. Right. And there were a lot of people, too. I interviewed uh, I interviewed uh, um, Malcolm Taylor. He was a he is a bus operator in Baltimore. And there were, a lot of, there were a lot of youth organizers and youth workers, too. He's a bus operator, but he also coaches a couple of the, the youth football leagues. He saw one of his kids on the street on TV took off from the job and went out there on the streets <laughs> right. to go make sure that none of his team members, he was like, listen, I don't want you guys out there or whatever. And there was a lot of that in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. There was a very hands-on attitude towards the youth. And I also want to point out, too, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's the teenagers, it's the teenagers. Well, of the 235 people arrested, 41 were juveniles. Right. So there were a lot of adults that were out there right. not doing the right thing either, but there were many more who were, were trying to keep those keep the teens and, and keep the youth in effect. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Let's go to Mike from New York. Mike, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? All right, how are you? I'm good. Uh, you see, I, I, I really, you know, this this is a very sensitive case because of, you know, the, the police officers involved and Freddie Gray and everything, and the specifics, you know, are not are not definite or anything. But I still believe that there's no justification in the fact that these cops were arrested and charged. They should be charged like normal criminals, just like everybody else. And people say that the prosecutor. Wait a minute, I don't, Mike. Fired. I don't. I don't understand what you're saying. They were yeah. charged, and you're saying they should not have been charged. No, no, no. They should have. They should have. They should be charged oh, okay. like regular regular criminals. Not not like cops and they wanted to appoint their own special investigator that just clearly shows that they have at least a little something to hide and and, and need you know more support than normal Okay, good. Thank you very much for the call. 1-800-223-9797. Noel Leader, in terms of the, in terms of this van, because there's this term rough ride that we kept hearing. What is a rough ride and how does the, is the Baltimore police procedure for putting suspects in a vehicle to transport them? Is it similar to New York or is it different? Well, it's similar. I think uh, law enforcement agencies around the country uh, take it upon themselves to give up uh, prisoners uh, these so-called rough rides. Uh, we don't have similar vehicles like they do, transport vehicles like they do in Baltimore. But, uh, you know, all officers in, in, you know, who transport prisoners or heard prisoners being transported know that sometimes there's an intentional attempt to make them as uncomfortable as possible. You know, you turn the heat up in the summer, you put the air, con- uh, you turn the heat up in the summer and, and put on the uh, air conditioner in the winter. Uh, you know, you make sudden stops. I think it's highly inappropriate I think the charges, if this officer is engaged in that kind of uh, activity and it caused the death or further injury to this young man, then he should be charged as he was charged because it's never acceptable for police officers to engage in any illegal or non-authorized practice. You don't take it upon yourselves. There was a lot of spin about that too. There was a report. Well, he was, you know, he was he was screaming, he was pounding, he did the injury to himself, and then it's also too if you're handcuffed and you're lying on the floor and you're in tremendous pain, the only way to get attention, it's not like there's an intercom there. But we heard that that initial report that a fellow prisoner inside the van allegedly made was inaccurate. Right. You know, he was re-interviewed. Right. He said, "No, I never said that. I never heard. I never even knew the." Yeah, this is why we have fact. to stick with the, the real the the actual reports. One one thing too, I kept hearing. In Baltimore, and then also when I got back here uh, this weekend from people, was a sense, and this goes across the board, people in law enforcement, the community members, young people, all races, they feel we are at a tipping point between the community and police, and that the, the fabric of our, the very fabric of our society is... <laughs> Is just being is being ripped apart. That you have, a, you have people who do not respect the law. You have the law that does not, you know, people who are supposed to uphold the law. Who some who do not respect the people. We got cops getting killed. We have unarmed civilians getting killed. So it's like, what is people feel like? We're just one or two bad decisions away from mm-hmm. or tragedies away from something really going off. And everyone, just please feel free to jump in. You know, I, I strongly believe that a lot of these situations have been happening since 
the beginning. Infinitum. Uh, yeah, this, this, I just think with the media now being able to capture, you know, using your phone and being able to capture and record these incidences are bringing it to the you know public awareness. Things that the black community has been saying for years for are now years. visible. People are like, wow, that really happens. For years. I'm from the city of Boston. And, you know... Being from the inner city and 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 you you saw this 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 is not unheard of but you know back in the nineties it was just something that got buried how could you go up against the police officers you know what 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 case could you have an inner city black youth you know to say look you know I was harassed um, by this cop you didn't you didn't have any evidence you didn't have anything but your statement but now we have video now we have you know secret recordings now we have you know conversations again that are captured you 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 can't deny it now so i think the media has brought it to a bigger discourse um and that's why i think it seems so much bigger it's because now it's exposed and and when people see it even if they didn't believe it now they they can't deny it let me bring into the conversation um former baltimore detective joseph crystal he saw a drug suspect badly beaten by a fellow baltimore police officer a number of years ago he reported it but paid a steep price found rats you know they called they called him a rat they harassed him and he ended up uh having to resign he's now suing the police department and detective crystal thank you for being with us oh my pleasure man. thank you for having me we, we appreciate it now you were one of the star detectives in in baltimore in the baltimore police department is there a culture in that police department that accepts abuse as just part of the you know rules of the road or, well, or terms of in you know terms of engagement well for one you know baltimore is a city that's uh you know marred in violence so I think that that one issue is that, to a certain degree, I think that, you know, use of the force and and, uh, violence are, you know, somewhat sensationalized, even by, you know, police officers and stuff like that. Most of the cops, you know, I think, I believe, are good and want to do the right thing. I think that my situation even specifically sends a bad message to police officers because when I came forward, it basically told them that this is, you know, the commissioner there, didn't want cops speaking forward. The mayor there didn't want cops speaking forward about brutality or things that went wrong. And let me say, and from what, from is it, it's true from what I read about your case that after you saw this suspect, his ankle was broken. You heard him. They heard the screams. You heard the scuffle. You reported that to your supervisor. And what did you, and your supervisor told you? Don't say anything more. Or just ignore it. What, well, my supervisor was was part of the initial assault of the drug suspect. My my direct supervisor, who was a sergeant. Um, that kind of made it somewhat confusing for me on who to go to, because they basically teach you if you see something wrong, you go to your sergeant. So I went to another sergeant within the same division and reported it, and he told me that if I snitched, that my career would be over, not to snitch and to keep my mouth shut. And how do you feel about that decision now? The fact that I didn't do it, man, is that what you're asking me? Yeah, no, the fact that the fact that you did you did speak up and you tried to do the right thing, what you thought you were sworn to uphold, you know, the way I, you I were sworn feel, to uphold I the law. I still feel that it was the right thing to do, man, 100%. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was deep. You know, I think one of the hardest things is that, you know, I even to this day it's hard to kind of wrap my head around the fact that basically a lot of what he said that night was true. The fact that ultimately... Despite all the good things I did, I've, I've, you know, made arrests that have been on the news, been upheld in federal court, I've made case law. Despite all the, the great things I did as a cop in that short amount of time, what I'm known for is coming forward. And I have no issues with the coming forward part of doing the right thing, but the fact that the Baltimore City Police Department under, you know, this commissioner, he didn't want me on the police department because of the fact that I came forward. So he didn't want a cop that showed that he had integrity and was willing to, you know, stand up and do the right thing. He didn't want that. When you had, when wanted, you, they they wanted somebody that was just going to go along to get along, get along to go along. Yeah, exactly. Or and, go along to get along. Yes, yes, ma'am. And I think that that's uh, that's uh, that's a scary thing. I think that you know the situation that we're, they're even in now with the Freddie Gray situation, ma'am. I truly, in my heart, believe that if the commissioner had handled this different, if you know uh, Stephanie Rollins, Blake, the mayor, had you know handled this different and supported me, I think that. Either you could have a, possibly avoided an incident like Freddie Gray's, or you would at least have more answers and you could have taken steps. The fact that you're talking about now wanting to change things after a man died, to me, that's just too late. 
And and he's apparently not the first one in, in similar circumstances in Baltimore. But let me let me just ask you one question, and then uh, we'll let you go, and we'll get to we have a lot of phone calls and, and more from our guests here in studio. When you first heard about the Freddie Gray case, what went through your mind? Did you go, "I'm not surprised. This is just this was inevitable given the culture"? What was your reaction? Well, obviously, but before the uh, those reactions, my my first thoughts were, you know, I was sad for his family. I was sad for, for him, and I was even sad that, you know, whatever the cops was, whether something went awry or not, the fact that these cops now, you know, this is something they're going to have to live with for the rest of their lives. So those thoughts were the first thoughts to enter my mind. After that, I was, I'll say that I wasn't, I wasn't uh, totally surprised about it. And one of the things that also struck me as surprising was that it's a situation like this that no cop actually had, you know, saw anything that they were willing to come forward with. A situation like this, you know, you had six officers involved, and plenty even, of opportunities you know, where he he asked for help, where he he needed help, and he wasn't given help. Exactly. No. I mean, if you think about it, you know, in in a vacuum, man, and this is just from my personal experience, that any of those individuals, and that you know, if they heard him asking for it, even if they could have said, "Hey, listen, man, he this guy keeps asking for a medic," you know, you could have just called. You didn't. You could have called the medic to the scene. You didn't have to get him to a you know the district. Or anything, you could have called the medic. Right, it's a simple I mean, phone anybody call. Anybody with a radio could have done it. Right, and anybody with some humanity would have done that too. Uh, Detective Joseph Crystal, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, I understand you're working now for a department in Florida. So thank you so much, and good luck with your case. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. All right, uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Doctor Haberfeld. What about what he said? Well, this is exactly what I was talking about before. It's not about individual police officer, group of police officer. It's about organizational culture that does not invest enough in rules and regulations that would be clearly communicated to police officers, what I refer to as professional integrity. I've been, you know, advocating for this for, for years. We need in every police department, at least the larger police departments, to have a position of deputy commissioner or any high-level supervisor in charge of professional integrity, very different from investigating but crimes. But is is that, isn't that what internal affairs no, are supposed to be? No, absolutely not. Very different. Because internal affairs is sort of reactive, investigate things that, that already happen or try to do some integrity testing to find out whether police officers are prone towards misconduct. But we need a separate office, a separate entity that will spell out what it is that a police officers need to do, in, not in criminal... An independent si- prosecutor? An no. independent Within the police organization, but can they really ever? But could they really ever police themselves? Can can one group of people ever really police? Lisa, it's not about policing yourself. It's about doing your job the way it's supposed to be done, and it has nothing to do with actual criminal misconduct. But it is. It has everything to do, like what your uh, what what the person detective said. If somebody is complaining again about being hurt. You call the medics. Yes, many uh, suspects or people who are arrested will complain just for the sake of Fake complaints just yes, to stall but everything. You have to, but you don't have the tools to differentiate between fake and actual, so you don't take a chance. When it's a human life. When it's a human life, you don't take a chance. And this is, again, part of professional integrity that I've been talking about. It's, it's uh, not a criminal behavior. It's not knowing what to do in the right time, in the right case. It's about what the, what the, guide li- what the guidelines are. All yeah. right, we're ta- we have to... TJ's giving me that. Yeah, we got to take a short break. Uh, you're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hot97.com, uh, streaming live online across the United States, taking your phone calls, 1-800-223-9797. Ronette, Angel, Mike, uh, Jashan, all of you, we're going to try to get to as many of your calls as possible when we come back on Twitter and Instagram, at Lisa Evers, hashtag Freddie Gray. Ebro in the Morning presents Up Close with Tanache. Win your way into our private party. Hang with Ebro in the Morning. Meet Tanache at a secret location. This week, listen every hour, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. We'll be back right after this. Hot 97. Hello. This is Ahalia. Congratulations, Ahalia. You just won floor seat tickets to Summer Jam. Oh, my God. Thank you. Hot 97 Summer Jam 2015. Summer Jam floor seats every hour. That's right. 7A to 7P floor tickets to see. Kendrick Lamar. Chris Brown. It's your boy, Trey Songz. It's your boy Meek Millie, Big Shine, Fab, and I'll see y'all there. Rashim, you got a summer jam! For the entire lineup and the butt tickets, go to hot97.com. Made hot by McDonald's, chicken select tenders. Thank you, Hot 97! 
If your car shakes, rattles, and barely rolls, trade it in. John Loman here from Loman Auto Sales in Woodbridge, New Jersey. This week, I'll give you up to $5,400 more than your trade-in is worth. Save, save, save up to 50% off original MSRP on 2014 pre-owned vehicles. Get interest rates as low, low, low as 1.9%. Listen to this. To help you get approved today, I'll say yes, 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 and double your down payment up to $5,000. Even if your credit is wrecked, ruined, bruised, battered, or bankrupt, or you have no credit, don't worry. My banks and lenders look at you, 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 not your credit score. That's right, you, not your credit score. And my goal is 100% auto credit approval. This week, let's put together a low payment plan that gets you into the car, truck, or SUV of your dreams. Everybody drives. I'm John Loman, and I'm a dealer for the people. Only at Loman Auto Sales in Woodbridge, New Jersey. For a hot VIP appointment, call 888-928-5189. That's 888-928-5189. Hi, here's your delivery from staples.com. Thanks, Staples guy. My office is starving. Got any snacks? Staples has pretzels, granola bars, energy bars, trail mix, all at a low price. Nuts? Cashews, almonds, pistachios, pecans, walnuts. Chips? Potato chips, corn chips, whole grain chips, gluten-free chips. Whoa, that's a lot of snacks. We also have antacids. Tablet antacids, liquid antacids. Make on budget happen, make break time happen. Staples, make more happen. Now at Staples, get a 42-ounce bag of M&M's milk chocolate or peanut candy for just $8.99. Offer valid on SKU 689508 and 689504 Jared is the place to go for diamond fashion jewelry this Mother's Day. Jared the Galleria of Jewelry has an incredible selection of diamond fashion designs in necklaces, earrings, and bracelets, including our jewelry brands, Neil Lane Designs and Diamonds in Rhythm. Or indulge her craving with Le'Veon Chocolate Diamonds. Prices starting at $100 to over $10,000. Find a Jared store or shop anytime at jared.com. Earnings vary based on your effort. Do you want to learn how to make money flipping houses right here in New York and New Jersey? If so, we have an amazing opportunity for you. We're looking for a small group of motivated individuals to join our real estate investing team. You'll learn our simple three-step system for flipping homes right here in the local area. This is Than Merrill, star of A&E's hit TV show, Flip This House. My team and I are looking for a handful of people in the New York and New Jersey area who want to learn how to make money flipping houses in your spare time using other people's money. New York and New Jersey are perfect markets for my system. And next week, I'm holding a free two-hour educational workshop where you will learn how to make money flipping homes and how to build long-term wealth with income properties. To get two free tickets to Than's Workshop, call 1-800-234-4042. Seating is extremely limited. Call in the next 10 minutes and you'll also reserve a free copy of Than's Money for Deals Guide. That's 1-800-234-4042. That's 1-800-234-4042. Now at the Home Depot, get fired up about the Brinkman Offset Smoker and Grill that was $129, but is now just $99. So, let's get the party started. Let's fire up the grill and show them how a barbecue maestro gets down. We've got a charcoal grill that's both durable and versatile. So let's heat things up with handles that stay cool to touch. Let's do more for less. Let's do this. More saving, more doing. That's the power of the Home Depot. U.S. only while supplies last. You're wearing top-of-the-line boots to hike the scenic Rockies, but you're still wearing your indoor eyeglasses in the glare of the sun? What's that, Mom? What? Where? Next time, experience Xperia UV, superior polarized sun lenses, and experience the difference. Look, Katie, an eagle. They eliminate 100% of blinding reflective glare and offer ESPF 50+, the maximum UV protection available. Ask your eye care professional about Xperia UV, superior polarized sun lenses, in your prescription for the best vision under the sun. Hey, here's a fun fact. Some fruits are really vegetables, and some vegetables are actually fruits. But Tropicana Farm Stand is both. Because it has both. It's true. It's 100% juice. The kind you want. Packed with fruits and veggies. All good stuff. There's vitamins and nutrients, but absolutely no added sugar. So pour a glass of goodness. Try the newest Tropicana Farm Stand flavor, Tropical Green. Chilled and ready for you in the refrigerated aisle. To show our appreciation for your support. Hot 97 is bringing you the Universal Queens, don't miss it. The Universal Circus is going on right now through May 17th at Roy Wilkins Park. You don't want to miss all the fun. Tickets available now at all Ticketmaster outlets, Ticketmaster.com in the box office. Get your tickets now. Mommy, please. Mommy, Mama. You get me tickets to Universal Circus. 
Breakfast just got zestier with Dunkin' Donuts' new bacon guacamole flatbread. Try one today. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hey, it's Laura Styles, and here's what's hot. Calling all business owners. Circle of Sisters 2015 is taking place October 17th and 18th at the Jacob Javits Convention Center. Where else can you showcase your business to over 50,000 active consumers? For more information, log on to circleofsisters.com or call 212-600-5929. And enter on Hot97.com for your chance to win tickets to see D'Angelo live at the Forest Hill Stadium June 21st. For tickets, visit ticketflag.com. Yo, what up, people? This is Common, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 9-7. People, baby. The people, baby, and I want to thank the people of Baltimore this week for showing me so much love when I was down there covering what was going on for Fox 5 News at 5 and 10. If you follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers, you can see my pictures right there before they even get onto the TV screen. And I want to say a big shout out to Tretch from Naughty by Nature. I saw him out there. He was walking the streets without the TV uh, TV cameras, even though we caught up with him and he mm-hmm. talked to me on camera there. So much love to you, Tretch. But uh, he came down from Newark with a couple of people from uh, the Newark community and uh, went down there, just talked to talk to the young people, walked the streets, went through the projects, went through the, uh, you know, the areas where there had been the, the rioting and the other problems and was just out there just kind of giving people a, a, a voice, really, and just giving them a chance to vent. And also want to say a big shout out to Abdul Salam. He's a youth organizer with the Keys Development Organization, doing a lot of work with helping young people there get jobs, get the training they need so that they can have uh, a livelihood and, and do really well there. We're, we've been trying to get him on the phone, but he's probably out out doing his thing right now. But uh, 1-800-223-9797, our guest in studio, Noel Leader, former NYPD sergeant, co-founder of 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care, um, D- Dr. Maki Haberfeld, Professor Maria Haberfeld, chairman of the Department of Law and Police Science at John Jay College, Frank Francoise, he's a community activist, co-founder of Stop Mass Incarceration. He's also also with Black Lawyers for Justice, they're the group that has been organizing. You not? He says he's not the co-founder. Never. All right, there's okay. I don't know why I wrote co-founder. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but thank you for correcting me on that. He's with Black Lawyers for Justice. Let's just say he's out there doing it. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. How about that? Handling it, follow, putting his beliefs into action. Also with us is Karen Hudson. She's a parent and deputy editor for MommyNoir.com. Let's go to uh, Uni from Long Island. Is it Uni or Uni? Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm all right. Uh, I want to just keep it short, like a brief overview. Like, I mean, I keep hearing people talking about, you know, the looting and, and the rioting. But if you really analyze the situation, nothing really got destroyed of value in Baltimore. Like, it was not isolated. To, uh, where, oh, at, <laughs> that's, that is so not true. Well, what I mean by that—that that is, is so like, not true. You had did, you had a you had a senior citizen center. You had a senior citizen bus that they had done fundraisers for, so that they'd have a bus that they could pick up people and uh, take them to events. That was destroyed. I saw the stores myself. I saw the places myself. No, I'm not saying no damage was done, but what I'm saying is nothing that really meant anything to the system. Why wasn't like when you when they they didn't have anything going on in the Baltimore Ravens? Um, the stadium. That's what I'm saying. It's all isolated into our community, and it's just. Well, they told no. I I, want to just. I just want to add this in here too. It's like there were groups. There were groups that went down towards the Inner Harbor, which is their tourist area, like the South Street Seaport combination uh, type type of area there. Very beautiful, but mostly all tourists and new office buildings and new shopping centers. And then also they went towards the Oriole Stadium, towards Camden Yards. And so that it's very one thing I was surprised about too in Baltimore. Everything's very close. Like you, it's a, it's a couple miles. It's you know, and if you're walking and you're marching, you can easily go from where that CVS was burned into downtown without without a problem if you wanted to. Oh well, all right. Well, at the end of the day, for me, I mean, not to condone anything, but all you're seeing on television is the product of a war that's waged on black people. This is not just Baltimore. A couple of months ago it was Ferguson. This is just a frustrating being spit back at the system. You understand? Because you're not going to get it fixed by one Freddie Gray or anything. I mean, that's, that's terrible. Horrible. But it's not going to get fixed with because we, the, the people put the pressure on the system. You want an answer? Then boycott. 
You're not going to get anything done protesting and standing around. With it. Like, that's just our frustration coming back. You know, if, if, if and it's not a black or white thing. It's a human thing. If you want, if you want results, protest. All the system cares about is money. You understand? Even when you look on the news, it's, oh, how much damage was done to this? It's more of a priority of that than people's lives. You know what I mean? This is not just Baltimore. You know, and even even with the mother, you know, I know her mother, with the mother that embarrassed her son, I, was, I know she was, you know, trying to be protective. But if you really think about it, at the end of the day, if you were trying to protect your son, why would you rip his mask off on, on TV in, in, in an environment okay, where... Okay, but I, I, th- I think you have to understand the emo- I think you have to understand the emotion. And she said in the interviews this week, she said, you know, I, j- I think I just lost it. Like it was, a, you know, right. th- there's there's fires, you're seeing smoke in the sky, you're seeing people running around crazy on the street. Freddie Gray, the, the whole Freddie Gray situation, it just happened a couple weeks ago. And I'm sure that mother just went like, not my son. This is not my son. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and, and you know what, if she, if some people are saying she does not deserve the parenting year of the award, but you you know what? A lot of us recognize our own mothers, and uh, in that kind of situation. So, you know. But right, anyway, right, you mean, right, I got to right, right. move on. I, want, I, mean, I, I just want to get. I, I could appreciate baby, I gotta that. Move I mean, on. I got to move on. But it's like I just feel like sometimes you have to let a man be a man, not be destructive. But it, it looked like he was shamed. I seen the picture when he was standing in front of. Anderson Cooper. How about how about you know not I mean? going out there? How about how about making the decision not to go out there on the street with a mask over your face, which is a symbol that this you're about true. to do something wrong in the first place? Uni, I got to move on. This Frank, what about that? Um, I'd like to really comment on that. First and foremost, some people don't see these as riots or protesters. They see it as an uprising and a rebellion, and they see it as everybody's duty to get involved. Some people also see that lady as like an old slave mom who was afraid for her son to do something wrong and be chastised by a massa. So she beats her son first. Also okay, it couldn't just, you just don't think that's just a mother who really loves her son? This is a, a strong, single black mother who is there just going like... It, it probably could be that. I mean, I don't know. You know who's emotional at that moment? It could be. I, I can't really say what her mindset was. Okay, but anyway, let, what, me let, let me let right, you I'm finish. I'm just saying what some people are saying. Also to what Noel was saying about the police and the rough ride event, that there in itself is part of the cover-up. Because I've spoke to many eyewitnesses. I was down in Baltimore this weekend and last weekend. And they said what happened to that brother was, one, they slammed him on his stomach. And one officer put a knee in his back. And then the other officer grabbed his legs and folded him up like a pretzel. He was screaming from outside and could not walk. Oh, yeah, he did, they did that move. Walk. Right. That's why they had to drag him. He could not walk. They broke his back before they put him in the van. Mm-hmm. And all the rest is a cover-up. They're charging the driver with the the most serious charges, as opposed to the uh, the two bike officers. Exactly. You know. So. All right. Let's go. Go ahead, Karen. Jo. Um, as a parent, I think one of the main things that we should really be talking about a lot more is empowering our children from very young to have a voice, to learn how to express their feelings, to express their emotions. So by the time things like this happen, they're, they're readily prepared to handle these types of incidences with their voice, with their intelligence, with their mind. Um, because, again, for this, for this boy to react for the first time like that, we need to look at why is it the first time he's so angry, you know, we should be having more discussions with our children from very, very young. You know, I have a four-year-old, and I talk to him over and over about using your voice. I don't, I don't want to raise a child. In, a, in an appropriate in, way. In an appropriate way. And yet, there are times where it calls for using your hands. You know, we hope that that's never the case. You know, there's times you have to fight with your heart. There's times you have to fight with your minds. And there's sometimes you have to use your hands, depending on the situation. I'm not, I'm not encouraging that. But I think we just need to train or not train or to raise our children overall to have a heart to be passionate about something and to, to care about it and that's what that last week we had on the uh, hip hop the, the uh, hip hop therapy not I, I'm calling it hip hop therapy but they're using hip hop in the high school um, Ian Levy Professor Christopher Emden at Columbia started it where they have the, they have the teens writing you know writing uh, hip hop rhymes mm-hmm. about what they're going through and giving right. them giving them a voice and a way to do it and I just want to say one more thing about that about that mother mm-hmm. because she did 
did take she did take a bashing, but you know what? She's not the one that abandoned her child. Right. Where is that kid's father? Exactly. She she is there raising that raising that boy, putting food on the table, keeping a roof over his head, doing what she has mm-hmm. to do. And I just you know, could, as a I woman, say, I just have to say, I'm not I'm not. Could I say she's doing she's protecting what she has to protect? If we don't want our children to engage in with some call riots and some call rebellion, then we have to protect them prior to this outburst. Uh, as in regards to police abuse, these are the individuals, our young people, who are experiencing horrific acts of brutality at the hands of police officers. Exactly. These are the, these young group, even in Baltimore, where the NAACP recently sued the police department. They determined that twenty to thirty percent of the arrests are false. These are the individuals that are getting persistently and consistently stop question and frisk. Uh, assaulted and sometimes killed by the police. So, you know, Martin Luther King said that r- riots are the language of the unheard. Mm. This young, this this group, this targeted group. Like people just responded. didn't care. Like yeah, they just didn't care. They didn't care. But it's you an. Know, let me let, let me ask you, uh, Dr. Haberfeld. The the we look for statistics nationally from the Justice Department of how many men of color were killed by police around the United States. I was shocked to find out there's no such number. There's no such count. There's no such tally. Like nationally, they keep track of all kinds of things. There's no, there's no count like that. And there are people. I wanted to get your opinion on this feeling that people have that we are at a tipping point. Even President Obama said, you know, the the fabric of society is being frayed because of these tensions between police and community. And it's hard for the it's hard for the good police officers too, like the officer, you know, that we heard that that are are trying to do their job. You want somebody to come when you when you call nine one one if you're in a jam. You don't want them to show up and then go. Well, wait a minute. Let me see what the vibe is here. Maybe I'm going to help him. Maybe I'm not going to help him. When you need a 911 call, you want somebody there. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we have to stop looking what's wrong. We know exactly what's wrong for generations. There is always a tension between the police and the community and an issue of, of power and control. Mm-hmm. And we have to move beyond this and not spend millions of dollars of trying to find out what's wrong. We have to divert these dollars into different type of standards for recruitment, selection, training, supervision, discipline. I refer to this as the Pentagon of Police Integrity. Look who you're recruiting. How do they train? How are they trained? how they supervise, what kind of discipline has to be uniform discipline cannot depend upon who you know and and who you are but do you think they also need to be trained differently because society is different we're not as the society is not as formal as before there's a lot a lot of young people don't grow up with the same respect we we train i I cannot train the public but i can train the police officers we have to focus on skills in the areas of human relations emotional intelligence social intelligence change intelligence not to give another three days of tactical training it's not about tactics it's about or tanks no it's not about tactics or tanks it's about controlling yourself your own emotion understanding who you're dealing with and understanding what the proper response is and we're wasting money not doing this okay frank go ahead let's let us be clear let us get straight to the heart of the matter this policing the way it's set up the whole system is about racism and oppression Mm-hmm. It's not about feeling. Even with, that. let me just bring this in, okay. and I want to hear your point on that. Even with a black mayor, a black police commissioner, a black prosecutor, the driver of the van where the black suspect was killed was also black. Some people would say half of the cops involved in this are black. How is this? How is this now? How is this a race issue? What do you say to those that's, people? That's a very good question. First and foremost, uh, and the president is black. First and foremost, and the attorney general is black. <laughs> All right, and I'm just woman. saying, people. Right, no, no, this is right. what people say to me. Listen, this listen, is man. this is what and people say give, to me. I'm going to give you a good answer. Okay. First and foremost, cops are blue, not black or white. Once they work for the system, they're there to oppress you. They target they target the blacks in the black communities. We're go they go after them. This is why there's so many drug arrests. Now, as for the puppets, as you want to call the politicians or elected officials, <laughs> don't matter what color they are, they still work for the same man too, and they work for the rich against the betterment and to the demise of the masses of the poor people. And so I, it don't I, matter what incredible. color. So what do we do? I, but, that, but this is what we're oh, working oh, with. I mean, we can't yeah, just I, go like, okay, you, let's just party. Get, it's no good. But Lisa, to I mean, make what an analysis whether or not the system is, is system is racist, you don't necessarily have to look at the individual players you That's look right. at the victim. See, That's stuff right. like this never happened to white young men. Mm-hmm. You know, it does. It does, but nowhere near to yeah, this. Yeah, right. Nowhere yeah, near. Disproportionately ex- high yeah. for, for men of color. There's always exceptions to the rule, but the system 
meets out this kind of abuse on the African-American community, regardless of what the player is now. A sense of Mel- terror, is that, or is that too dramatic? Oh, no, no, it's right on point. It is terror. That's when you look at what right. happened to this young man, his, his spine severed 80%. <laughs> so in order to make a determination of whether or not the system is racist or white supremacist, because I don't even like the word racist, because uh, the only functional form of racism in this society is white supremacy, you have to look at the, who this always happens to. Because the player, if they, if they conform... To what the system is about, they will act. You know. So your belief is that this is there's there's a race element to this, but there's this is a salute. This is something that everybody has to deal with because Frank's saying it's blue. It's if you're a black if you're a black police officer and you become wear the blue you know you wear the blue uniform. Do you now look at the black community right. differently? Well, well, I wore the black uh, I wore the blue uniform and I didn't look at the the black community. But differently. some so, some, some. The, a lot of, a lot of people do conform, and that's not only policing. That's in the league lawyers. That's in the board of education. That's in the health department. African Americans that that are in these particular institutions should should demand respect to that community, and that's why we formed the hundred blacks in law enforcement who care because we were a hundred blacks in law enforcement and we did care. Okay, Mark, you real quick. Yeah, you know, just to give it another spin, I do a lot of comparative work with police forces around the world, so so I have to bring it. It's it's really, it's it's about power and control. It's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's about policing being an arm of a government, and whatever the local politician, whatever country wants to be done to maintain the status quo. The police, as, organi- as an organization, will act upon this, and on the receiving end are the ones who do not have this power. So, you know, we have to give it a, a larger, larger spin as well. All right, let's go to Steve from New York. Steve, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, how are you doing? All right, this how are you? Steve. Uh, what's, your question or, what's your question or comment, Steve? Okay, well, first off, uh, my comment, well, first off, I'm with the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. All right, I need, I, need a quick, I need a quick comment because we have a lot of people on hold in just a couple minutes left, okay? And Frank's what been holding it down right for you guys. What we're seeing right now is this country goes beyond the question of police culture or police organization. It's a question of policy. Are police an instrument of political policy throughout this country? And I submit that we are seeing right now a slow genocide taking place in this society, not only on the question of outright police murders of blacks and Latinos, but coupled with that, that this country has 2.3 million people incarcerated, majority of them black and Latino. Carl Dix of the Stop Mass Incarceration Network and of the Revolutionary Commerce Party has put out for several years now. We are in the midst of a slow genocide. Okay, Steve, I'm going to I'm going to bring it back to Baltimore, but the, your point is very good, and we're going to actually be discussing this. Uh, we're doing a show behind bars in a couple of weeks, so uh, if you want to get in on that show, hit, hit up Tone Executive Producer Tone Capone at Tone the number four real at gmail dot com. Karen, I think what we're creating also even within our children, because I'm going to speak from a, ch- uh, a children's perspective or our our ch- our kids. You know, we're raising kids who are now. Um, anxious they're they're very nervous they they have a lot of anxiety because of all this chaos that's happening around them. absolutely and that anxiety we have an article on mommy noir right now that's called tantrums and riots the temper tantrums fuel the baltimore charges like because of the the screams and the fighting and the the the, the nerves of the children not just the children but the teens and the, the community overall the whole vibe did the did the anxiety bring awareness and I think that's what's happening now we're so delicate because of all these incidences that we need to figure out ways again how to gain back power within our community because right now the police have all the power and when they have all the power and we're submissive it, a police state is forming, and everyone is moving around like zombies. We're moving around like zombies. Well, no, there was also also too what I saw the um, the the mayor real quick. The the mayor came under fire for not bringing in police mm-hmm. uh, additional police officers early on to handle the national all, guard. To, and then and the national guard. She was offered that, so then. Things get out of control, mm-hmm. and then now they have to bring in soldiers. I saw tanks. I saw one that was like three story. You can see it on my Instagram and uh, Twitter at Lisa Evers. Now you're seeing tanks. I'm seeing soldiers walking down. Which you know, th- thank you to the soldiers and everyone serving our country. We appreciate your service. But we're talking about the United States. We're talking about a civilian. Are we? Are we becoming desensitized, Maki, Maki, to to this militarization of the of police departments that caused so much problem in Ferguson? 
Yes, I mean, you know, th- there is a good reason why various police departments received the military-grade equipment, but it was never intended to be used against civilian population mm-hmm. in this country, never. So again, it goes back to the training that, you know, if police chiefs and commissioners do not have the leadership skill to differentiate in between situations when military-grade equipment must be used, like an active shooter situation, versus civil dissent, then, then we have a huge problem again we know what it is. So, Frank, real quick solution. Okay. What's a good solution? I, um, no, first I want to answer a question real quick. Those equipment that he was given is intended to use exactly. against the civilians. That's why they're giving it to us. It's you're not, creating, it's a, police, not a, you're creating a police no. state. It, it, is, like that. it is a, police, creating a police, state. police state. It is a police state. We never had power. We're trying to now mm-hmm. even the playing field where the people do have a voice. I mean, I told the National Guards that was on the ground yesterday. I looked at them in their face and I said, you know, they killed Kenneth Chamberlain Sr., and I, I marched with his son, Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., trying to get justice. I said, this can happen to you. They're killing off-duty um, black cops, and they're killing off-duty uh, military people. So, you know, this could happen to your children. They don't ask, uh, do you have somebody that's on the force before they abuse you? Mm-hmm. You know, so, as you it's said... Just, well, no, well, and we also... And to, be fair, and to be fair and to be accurate, we mm-hmm. also have... There's police officers that are killed in the line of duty. There's a police officer, like last night, yeah. that, was, that was shot, is in a coma. Uh, Brian Monroe, 25 years old, same age as Freddie Gray. And, and where our thoughts and prayers go to him, the, the Officer Lou, the two officers, Ramos, that were killed here in New York City. Real quick, Noel, what, what, need, what needs to be done in terms of... Do you agree with Maki, with the police culture, that there's something... Do we need an independent right. person? Or is this whole Baltimore thing... Is it's just another uh, another big show for the media. No, all of those points are excellent. We need to change the culture of police and we need more more punishment. But the primary thing we have to acknowledge, when you have a, a problem, the first thing you have to acknowledge is that you do have a problem. The problem is racism. Mm-hmm. And if we That's don't right. acknowledge exactly. that, I don't care what solution we That's implement. Right. It's not going to be effective because we always see this meet out, this this uh, you know militarization of police departments are primarily in African-American communities. Mm-hmm. So if we don't acknowledge that at the core of this, is race, structural relationships based on the insubordination of one ethnic group over another. If we don't acknowledge that, we're not going to solve the problem. We're going to be swinging and missing. Do you feel everybody needs to be at the table to solve the problem? Oh, definitely. Everybody needs to be at the table, but we all have to acknowledge Primarily, what what is the what is that the, the core? Cause, of, what the is that the core of all of, of this? What's the root cause? So, I mean, Karen, real quick. even think about it. From elementary school, we have a police presence in children's schools. Mm-hmm. Even from a, a from elementary level, then that carries through high school. And now again, when you see all the police brutality that's going on in your city, and now you're seeing national guards and tanks, you are creating it a desensitizing. You are desensitizing yeah. the children in not just children, teens, all of them. And then you are creating a police state where, in their minds, they are criminalized from the beginning. No, exactly. All right, we got we got to keep it moving. All right, I'm sorry to Jay, Ronette, Angel, Mike, everybody that's on hold. I'm sorry we're not going to be able to get your talk calls. Frank, real quick. I think one of the biggest solutions that we can do is to topple the blue wall of silence to make sure that all the good cops are able to stand up and speak out. It's not a few bad apples. It's mm-hmm. the whole goddamn system. But they can't can All right, speak well, out but you want to have the police officers. Maki, so so final word real out. quick. Well, the final word is the same as the first one. We need a transformational change in the way policing is delivered. And it's, this transformational change is not going to occur by retraining police officers in three days, two days, or, or you know, changing right, the police commission. No. All right, I want to thank all of our guests for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. You can hear this show again if you want to listen to it on lisaevers.com. TJ is going to be posting it up right after we get off the air. Check me out on the Fox 5 News tonight at 6 and 10, 5 and 10, during the week and also I want to give a big shout out to Cedarmore Corporation my girl Titi Torres hosting the Girls Talk event next Saturday at Hofstra you can get more information by going to Cedarmore that's C-E-D-A-R-M-O-R-E dot org shout out to my girl Regina uh, Crystal Young the fashionista of Fox 5 is going to be there as well but big shout out to Titi Torres my sister here at Hot 97 holding it down for the girls giving the young girls some positive positive role models and some great information so find out more at Cedar more.org and uh, I want to thank everybody here at Hot 97 next next Sunday there's so much more to talk about this case it is Mother's Day we're going to be shouting out the mothers but we want to talk about the other another issue that came up as a result of what happened this past week and that is the T word thug is thug the new N word we're going to be talking about that we're also going to be talking about the criminal justice system the legal process that is now kicking in with these police officers in Baltimore is this just is this just going to be another a show 
for the media or is this real justice? And what about long term reforms like what our guests were talking about? How do we deal with racism? How do we deal with reforming the police department? How do we support those police officers who really are in the community, really doing good and trying to do the right thing, but just get overwhelmed or broken down like the detective that we heard from here? So uh, if you're interested in being on that show, if you are an attorney, if you are a former prosecutor, if you are an educator and have a strong opinion about the language that we use for each other and also um, that's used in the media, hit up Tone, Tone, the number four real at gmail.com. That's Tone, the number four real at gmail.com. And again, our, our thoughts and prayers to police officer Brian Monroe and his family, NYPD officer shot yesterday in Queens. And, uh, you know, that's it. I want to thank everyone here at Hot 97, my whole Street Soldiers team, executive producer Tone Capone. Happy birthday, Tone. Our board op, the one and only uh, TJ, also digital assistant, holding it down. Um, producer Rose D, and production assistants from Melissa Quinones. Thank you all very, very much. You know the deal. Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. You can download... Uh, I mean, Lisa Evers, you can download any uh, free podcasts of this and other Street Soldiers episodes, most of them, at LisaEvers.com. Have a great week, everybody. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace. Everyone's talking about the fight. Pacquiao Mayweather. But Ebro in the morning's got a different fight. <laughs> Laura Styles versus Tinashe. Oil wrestling. Shut up, Ebro. I'm not doing that. Come on, Laura. You're so whack sometimes. It's your girl, Tinashe. Keep it on Hot 97. We got your tickets every hour all weekend. You went past the Ebro in the morning up close with Tinashe. Okay. To see her oil wrestle Laura Styles. Ebro, shut up. I'm not doing that. All right. Pillow fight. No, you perv. Hug? Okay. Kiss? WQHD and WQHD HD1 New York. Hot 97. This is where hip-hop lives.